Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, who just added some new members with the Suit Up Geeks podcast. I really like their content. They just did a ranking of Batman films, getting hyped for the Batman coming out this weekend. But since, you know, the way we edit things, you guys know that it's the Batman that came out last weekend. Um, <laughs> I really like those guys. I'm really happy that they're with us. But, you know, as always, I'm here with Curtis and... Uh, we're here to talk about movies that we watched this week with full spoilers and basically trying to break down a little bit more than just our basic subjective opinions of what's yeah. good or bad about a movie. So we have a gauntlet on this episode, so we have an opportunity for people to quote win or end quote lose. So the basic question that we start off with is, Curtis, what did you watch this week? So uh, I'm the aforementioned Curtis, and this week I watched uh, two movies that I want to talk about, being that of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and The Godfather, because I got to see that in Dolby Cinemas for the 50-year re-release and for, for the 4K coming out. And uh, I was going to go ahead and go talk about a recent release, uh, Uncharted, which I think you brought that up, and so I... I Definitely think that's one I want to talk about for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to talk about a movie called Wendy that came out in 2020 from the director of Visa the Southern Wild. And that movie has terrible critic reviews and it confuses me. So that'll right. be the big mystery moving forward. So uh, as a part of us starting to restructure like we've kind of been talking about, I want to go ahead and introduce the movie that we're going to talk about while we go into it. So you know what, why don't I go ahead and talk about Wendy. Um, Wendy is basically a unique adaptation of the origin story of Peter Pan. The reason I want to talk about it is because it essentially, and this is going to sound so ridiculous, and apparently the critical reaction out there is just so that this is unoriginal and repetitive. I, I walked into this movie blind, just knowing Peter Pan and having been a fan of it from growing up. And this movie reminded me how entrenched I am in expecting movies to work a certain way and told a story that felt like it was an original story someone had come up with. So just like minute example of this. Wendy and her two twin brothers. Right? That's different. Wendy having two twin brothers. Yeah, they're usually two little brothers. They go on a train with Peter because uh, it's the equivalent of flying and they get to quote unquote Neverland and they're interacting with one another and they establish rules on this island. There is this mother fish that seems to be the source of the magic and whatever keeps children young on this island and there are rules that peter seems to know that if you let sadness in you will age and bad things can happen to you so wendy and her two twin brothers which i don't remember one of the brothers names but the other one's name is james they go out to this ship that they find that seems capsized and they're looking around the ship and swimming around and it, something starts to sink and it looks like one of them has drowned. They escape and this is a very grounded, realistic take on this that Wendy and the other brother are waiting and Peter is telling them, if you believe he's going to come back, he's going to come back. Don't let the sadness of this in or he won't come back and bad things will happen. It's based on what you believe. And sure enough, James starts to grow old, like in part, just his hand starts to grow old. And it's it's a very bizarre looking kind of thing. And this is how much of this sounds like Peter Pan to you? Like, oh. it sounds very Peter Pan. It's just like taking a very realistic and dark turn to it. So what do you think is going to happen based on what I just described? Uh, well, I'm thinking that... I'm, I'm going to uh, give you one more hint, because this didn't strike me until right when it happened. The kid's arm is old, and so you think he's going to grow old and... His name is James. His name is... Uh, is that ringing any bells? 
Because apparently everyone criticizes so far ahead of this movie that apparently they don't see this as something exciting or new. I mean, I literally have seen people ask, what was the point of this movie, even though the staple of To Grow Up would be an awfully big adventure, is in this movie. They they still say, like, I don't get it. I'm very confused. Like, not in any negative way. Some people just didn't click for them, and I can understand that, but it has like a 40% or whatever. The kid's name is James, Curtis, and his aunt is growing old. In order to stop that infection, what do you think they try to do? Oh, no. They try to cut cut off his hand. hand. And they do. They're worried because that went so horribly and that they think they need adults to take care of it. So they go looking for the only adult on the island that they know of, which is this guy that apparently was a kid once who played with Peter, who <sighs> no, no, got no. sad and turned old. James. Ja- oh, no, no, no. James, James Hook? Hook. This did not occur to me until right the second before they go looking for him. And this is what this movie did. It's it's so such an original take on things that... What happens is Wendy gets separated from the brother and she sees uh, that he's going to be with these older people who have all grown up. Mm-hmm. And she goes back with Peter to try and look for for help, but her other brother comes back. And Peter was right. It just took a long time and here he is. Fine. And they go because they think it, it, they might be able to get to his twin before it's too late and he's grown up too much. And the site that they come back to is him hammering a sheet of metal into a hook because they're fishermen they're looking for the mother fish on the island that keeps all of the kids young it's it was they were they were saying we need to find james and it wasn't until i heard the name right then in the context of knowing that they needed to go back to the older man with the fisherman with like the thing Mm -hmm. and then right when i thought oh james hook he's hammering the Uh. thing together and some people Mm -hmm. do credit the movie with this so i know i'm not alone on this the direction of this is so insanely in tuned with the spirit of adventure and childlike wonder that from the second the movie starts, you see just a baby Wendy crawling on a table and it's like, she's going to get up to some shit. Like it's, it's this little toddler who's just seeing this one kid as he runs outside and mysteriously jumps onto a train mm-hmm. and gets like whisked away forever. Right. Then when she's older, and the casting does an amazing job, amazing job of getting actors that look exactly like the same person, just getting older, you see that kid, the kid that, that urged the little kid that Wendy saw when she was a baby like to bring people onto a train, and it's Peter, played by the most Peter Pan-looking little boy I've ever seen in my life. He is so great in this role, so simple, and everyone is so genuinely childlike. The only reason anyone is a bad actor in this movie is because they're too much of a real child to pull at the emotions that are on screen. And that is so rare. Everything in this makes sense, but it flows like crazy. Anyways, trains. Yeah, uh, that was something that was prevalent in the trailer. I I remember seeing a lot of trains. It's it's just that Wendy is a girl who dreams of some bigger adventure and then knows that a little kid went away and ran away from home and went off to go do something with this mysterious kid mm-hmm. and it's like peter pan do it like teasing her like you don't have what it takes to chase and like catch this train like like a little kid daring you kind of thing and the opening credits of it alone is just the camera locked onto the side of a train it is so the same inspiration is just taking off from a familiar place of flying but grounded in what they're doing. 
that way of approaching this story combined with the way that they use a camera to sweep and follow kids and like run with them and fly and attach it to objects and the way that the the vision for this was put together it builds up to this quintessential point of Wendy classically being the the storyteller who shows Peter Pan growing up is a part of life and that it, there's reasons for that to happen and whatnot. And so you, you have almost the exact same story, but minus the tiger lily of it all because these aren't established already. The ending of the movie is is pretty much Super 8 footage of Wendy growing older. And then one day her kids mm-hmm. are by those train tracks and she goes running after the train and Peter's like, you're too old, you can't catch up to us anymore. It cuts back to her and she's a little girl again. And she almost catches the train and it cuts back and she's older and her kids go off to be with Peter for a while. Just saying that out loud, like, like, and I know this is wrong. I don't care. It's an original story. It's the line between creating a product and telling a story. Yeah. like That makes something hit so hard. Right. Uh, The way you're describing it to me, it sounds like a, a retelling of a story that keeps some beats but is different enough that it works as its own thing it's almost like if it's if it's like a painting mm-hmm. a peter pan was the paint I, I i i guess it just didn't strike a chord with some people with a lot of people with most people oh. and i i was absolutely i was absolutely yeah. blown away and I that can, sort of thing fascinates yeah. me. Why do some people just disengage from something? This guy, it took this guy seven years to make this movie. Oh, God. And so some of the criticisms are like that, are like, well, it's it's a sort of a sophomore slump thing where the, the guy got a bunch of uh, clout for doing Beasts of the Southern Wild. And because everyone thinks you're great and they give you license to do whatever you want, you go and make this passion project and you're the only one who cares about it. And it's like... For one, the fundamental core of a story that has worked generation after generation is there. And I've only told you one fraction of it. Mm -hmm. It's on HBO Max. I just recommend that anyone who has the the heart for it to sit down and just be like rattled with the sort of emotions and drama that we, I guess some people think don't happen to children, but really sometimes happen to children the most Mm -hmm. because that is innocence being traumatized to become an adult. Right. If you can have the heart to sit through that for two hours of constant wondering thrill, Mm -hmm. watch it. Works as a really good segue to uh, to well, Who yeah. Framed Roger Rabbit. It's like another story that you know right. you grew up with, and right. so Who Framed Roger Rabbit? That's next, right? And Roger Rabbit. For Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I just recently found out, like today, that it is based on a novel by almost the same name. It's called Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Mm. That was made uh, like eight years before the film. I mean, I've known that since I first saw the movie, but I've never bothered to look it up. Are there any differences? A lot of differences. Like the only key things that stay the same. From book to movie are Eddie Valiant is a detective that works with Roger Rabbit. There is a Toontown, but the Toontown is not based off of Disney cartoons. The tunes are comic strips mm-hmm. and they talk in speech bubbles. Another big difference, the tunes aren't immortal in this. They aren't free from harm. Whenever they're they're about to do a risky scene, they can make a doppelganger of, of themselves to do that scene in case they die. Wait, I have heard of that in the special features. Yeah. I think in the movie they were going to keep an element of that. Or does, like, Roger Rabbit, can he make a duplicate of himself? He did make a duplicate of, of, of himself that lasted for two whole days. While him and Eddie Valiant tried to figure out who murdered the actual Roger Rabbit. 
There oh, are, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, there are only two lines in the in the novel that make it into the uh, movie. And that's Baby Herman's line of, I have a 50-year-old lust and a three-year-old dinky. And Jessica Rabbit saying, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. From what I understand, who censored Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. is a riff on pulp novels, which, you know, mm-hmm. the movie translation of that is a riff on film noir. Mm-hmm. Where instead of taking it from, like, the pulp novel stories, you're taking it from funny pages. Yes, uh, like, uh, specifically, you run into Dick Tracy, Snoopy, and, right. like, a few others. Yeah. I think Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it's it's a totally different idea. But it's it's weird because it's like you're going from the original thing to a studio framework. A uh, big reason why I wanted to talk about Who Framed Ro- Roger Rabbit this time, I got it on 4K recently. And this is a movie that I've been watching since before I, I, I can remember. So it's a very formative movie for me. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, who also directed the Back to the Future trilogy for Scump and Flight. Also who- The Walk, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. The quintessential <laughs> film that we all remember the most. <laughs> And a movie recently, uh, Welcome to Marwin. Robert Zemeckis had like a reputation for a little while there of being the guy who's pushing uh, that digitally animated. He did the Polar Express and Beowulf. Yeah. So he's that guy. Yep. Part of the reason I'm excited to talk about this movie is there's this new Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie coming out. And that whole thing seems to be winking and nudging and poking at Robert Zemeckis. But anyways. Okay. Music was composed by Alan Silvestri who composed also the Back to the Future trilogy, Forrest Gump, Predator, several of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, including the Avenger movies. And Deathly Hallows Part 2. Deathly Hallows Part 2. Then, and then you got the cinematographer Dean Cundy. Dean Cundy, who worked with John Carpenter on multiple movies, including Halloween, The Thing, and Big Trouble in Little China. The went cin- on to do Jurassic Park and Hook. The cinematography is a big deal in this. Yes. Uh, the way that they managed to work out the lighting. Like, there's so much interesting... Like... I didn't know that most of the live-action objects held by the animated figures were puppeted, mm-hmm. not drawn into them. Yeah, they they were all puppeted, and that that that, that was one of the points that I was going to talk talk about, which was this won an, an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Yeah. Uh, one being how the tunes they interact with actual live objects. So when Roger Rabbit drinks whiskey, he's drinking from a from a live action whiskey glass that 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 gets puppeted when he's being hidden by Eddie Valiant in the laundry water when the weasels come looking for him, and he comes up for air. He's spitting out the actual dishwater, and it's not yeah. animated water. Right. Then on top of that, you have scenes going the other way where light is interacting with the tunes in a realistic way. Yeah. So like the light in the the backroom scene where Eddie's trying to saw off the handcuffs Mm -hmm. and his head hits the light and the light's like spinning around. You look at Roger Rabbit, the light is animated exactly the way it should be. Yeah. And that takes a a crazy amount of effort. And then Um, you have the moving camera. So the characters have to be animated to scale constantly with the moving camera. And that can't look flawless at all. Else it would break the immersion. Yeah. So Goodfellas, right? Uh, Goodfellas has that one shot that a lot of people reference ever since the the Plinker reviews or whatever. It's it's the tracking shot where you fully establish Henry Hill's status, and he's he's walking his date uh, in through the back entrance of a club, and you have a whole gang of people in this in this little club bar area mm-hmm. interact with him one step at a time. They all hit their marks, and it's this big sequence and one giant camera take. So, Roger Rabbit, the sequence in their club, where tunes are intermingling with them, there you have almost the same thing, right? The camera isn't always tracking one in one shot. Right. But that entire stage was on a second floor, because 
a whole crew of people not in the film were puppeting every single animated character <laughs> underneath the movie while it was moving around. So every extra that you see in there that's human and everything you see in there that's human is reacting off of puppeted little props. Right. Pretending that this world is alive as it is when it's on screen. That is some of the most insane commitment to an idea, like, ever. Mm-hmm. What? It, this, this, this movie sounds like it would be a pain in the ass to make, but it's so much fun to watch. Kind of like with The Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking about that with The Evil Dead. I would be the guy who would make it less good of a movie, because I would be like, why can't we just do X, Y, and Z? Why can't we do a couple of insert shots and stuff? Right. Like, And then you have to give, um, what's his name? Bob... Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. Oh my give, gosh, Bob Hoskins is amazing. With his acting, like he, he's he's playing up like the noir detective in like 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 Outland like like well, not he, Outlandish he's way. taking he's taking himself seriously in a world that's as loony. A person that occupies that world. So he 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 wouldn't possibly come across as like hammy in like an actual movie. Mm-hmm. But also I don't think so. I think he's resisting hamming it up and he's so annoyed at being in this world. Mm-hmm. And then when he does finally embrace being in the world, it's always like a yeah. cheer. But uh, I do I do want to talk about Christopher Lloyd cuz I think he is like a pitch perfect cast for Absolutely. for the judge. I th- I think if you give that role to anyone else, it doesn't come out right because the way that Chris because you you think of Christopher Lloyd's other appearances like in Back to the Future where he's playing Doc Brown, this eccentric kind of crazy person, and then you look at uh, the judge and Roger Rabbit and there's a bit of that eccentricity behind what he's doing, but it's like subdued and he's like talking in, a, in like a almost menacing tone mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing. His eyes are always covered up. He's always wearing he's 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 always wearing black and even though he's playing it menacingly, it comes off as comedic in certain yeah. scenes. Well, that's that's always the thing. I think we talk I I I I had to talk with this with Jarrison a long time ago about how like a lot of times humor comes out of taking things seriously, not doing a comedic version of it. Right. And that's what it is. I mean, you just trust it. And and then again, they also talk about behind the scenes that character is designed. It's almost like how Indiana Jones possibly wouldn't have been quite as iconic if the costume designer hadn't intentionally made his hat one size too large for his head. It's those little thoughts on a costume designer that made something pop. Mm-hmm. It's that stuff where he's menacing, but I know that that character is proportioned to foreshadow that they are a cartoon. Yeah. So the shoulder padding, the hat, the things that they do with him are—he's—he's uh, he's always smiling, so you always get to look at his teeth, and they're weirdly colored. Yeah. At first, I thought it was okay. Well, his teeth are just animated. That makes sense. But then, when he melts away, you see chattering teeth. Yeah. Right by the rubber mask, so it's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> and I, like that's one of the things I I do like like about that character is like even Eddie Valiant doesn't know what the tune who killed his brother looks like. He just remembers the high pitched voice and the burning oh. red eyes. And so that's all you get to see, and that's all you need to see. It's a cool, genuinely creepy thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is this does take the uh, murder mystery or, or classic noir elements of it seriously. Oh, as seriously as you need to for a kid's movie. And as a result, like, you have all the hallmarks are there, and they all just get pulled back just enough to stay in the realm of kid-friendly. Because mm-hmm. uh, Jessica Rabbit is a femme fatale, and you're supposed to believe she is, and then they reveal to you, no, no, she's, yeah. she's been faithful the whole time. She never would be. She's not yeah. going to cause anyone's death. Like, it's, and it's hilarious because there's this frustration in Eddie Valiant and other characters, and I imagine people, especially back years ago when this movie came out, mm-hmm. the joke is sort of, well, how would she end up with a wacky rabbit? Like, how does, how does the crazy mm-hmm. smoldering girl 
go for the goofy, innocent cartoon. And you think, aha, I finally found out you've been a trickster this whole time. It's like, no, she genuinely really cares for him. Yeah. She, I, she just really loves him. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I like the explanation that that she gives, where Eddie finally asks, "So what do you see in that guy?" And her answer is, "He makes me laugh." I know it's that's it. It's so good. The detective who unwittingly takes a case is there. Uh, the meek guy stuck in a situation being framed the wrong way. That's another like hallmark of the whole thing. You know, a villain who you think is a police officer or somebody who's supposed to be part of the law, but he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's sinister the whole time and he's trying to turn. I mean, that's Touch of Evil. That's Orson Welles. It already was nostalgic. So being nostalgic for it just keeps the movie alive. So I, I don't think it ever falls into a pit where it's just like, ah, I remember how this movie was entertaining when I was younger. It just always works as a reflection of something kind of in a date and time outside of reality. So it lasts. It lingers yeah. for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of setup and payoff in this movie too. Like like mm-hmm. just just like like little things like uh like like when when the dip is spilled in the bar scene where the judge backs away, uh, Roger with his uh, drinking thing when he takes alcohol, he he does this like high powered gas pressurized yeah. thing that's set up in in the beginning with 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 the patty cake photos and then paid off at the bar scene. And that that's that's like one of the things that I'm noticing that I that I, that I like about the movies from the past that I really like. It doesn't set up and pay off one thing. It's a bunch of little things that build up to set up and payoffs throughout the movie. Yeah. It's like a story. Yeah. With pieces that are put in the story, not just for one thing because it's funny, but because it helps tell the story. Yeah, well then let's talk about Uncharted. So I think you and I both agreed on a couple of fundamental key details. It's it's toothless. Yes. It's cut down on the violence beyond consequence. Mm-hmm. There's there's no blood on anyone. There's comically no blood when, spoiler alert, Antonio Banderas gets his throat slit. That is the funniest part <laughs> of the movie to me. I have never... that That is like... Uh, I, I, maybe it'll be less funny when I'm re-watching it because the flip side of the coin is I think the actors went so hard at these characters mm-hmm. that it might have transcended the effort by the studio to make a movie. And like the the toothless thing is is like a weird thing because it it is toothless, but then they intentionally make a reference to the movie series that the games were inspired by, which is Indiana Jones, and those are like full of blood and murder. Oh yeah, that why there always have to be nuns. Well, that killed me. Yes. And they kept teasing him about the nuns, and I was like, I might have been laughing at this that Nathan Drake has a problem with nuns because that's like <laughs> a really good point, right? But. But then they, they ha- made it an Indiana Jones reference to snakes. Like that, those. Like that was my main problem with it. Is 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 that it? It's it's an it's an action adventure movie that skips out on the action for the most part. See, I don't think it skips out on the action. It just doesn't show it to you when it's happening. Like I and it, it also I want more than just action. And that's I don't know if the editing was the same for you. I'm suspicious of theaters and studios changing things all the time. But there's this the brief moment they're going under underground into this ancient undiscovered for centuries thing and it turns out it's just a grate right into a club. And it's like why do that? And then they go in and there's a brief moment where they're on one side and then she says come dance with me and it's like they dance out into the crowd and then boom they're at the bar. Yeah, you, instantly. Yeah, you 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 don't get a sense of progression. It's just that they're dancing and then suddenly they're there. I don't even see them dancing. I saw her pull them close to her. Like we cut away to show a bad guy's face and boom they're at the bar. 
I, I, I literally, the characters act like they're about to have an interaction where they're trying to blend in, and then they just don't. And then Nathan Drake starts to draw a bunch of attention to himself by running the bar. And then they just leave here. You could cut out that whole sequence and it doesn't matter. Yeah. The only thing that it does is help with pacing and help you understand that Braddock's whole team is there. But that's the key thing. These four leads, Nathan Drake, Sully, Chloe, and Braddock. Mm -hmm. Each one of those characters has something different from what it would be if this was just a boilerplate, easy cash grab movie. Nathan Drake starts as not Nathan Drake. Okay, he 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 starts somewhere in between the kid who idolizes his brother and the adult yeah. who's done everything his brother has done. And the idea that he's he's had to do little stealing things and he has these bad habits from his brother mm. and he has the history of fascination based on where they grew up, that is a unique character who's passionate about something. Indiana Jones is a school teacher. He cares about history. Mm. But like I pointed out, like we watched Last Crusade and it's almost like they rebooted his character <laughs> by claiming that he cares about history because the original reason Indy wants to save things and get them to a museum is because the muse- museum is willing to pay for them. And I know they're they're treasure seekers, but Nathan Drake has this extra piece in here of you don't have to betray people. This doesn't have to be a cutthroat business. It's like Indiana Jones of Indiana Jones was like, I don't want to have to shoot people in order to do my job. We mm-hmm. don't see that part of his life. We don't see that in The Mummy or in National Treasure. Actually, we do kind of technically see it in National Treasure because he doesn't want to. Yeah. But it's not an arc of the character. You know, it, it is unique to him. And that, I wouldn't be bringing it up if it didn't feel like then there's this part that's missing and really choppy. But there's an arc where he finally puts on a gun for the first time at the end of the movie. Right. And they do this whole big hero shot of him spinning around and shooting a guy. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing building to that. But then I realized this whole time he's been knocking guns out of people's hands Mm -hmm. and not picking them up. And it's just like he's embracing that violence is what comes with the territory of this job Mm -hmm. while still holding on to some values. And that tension makes his character work with Sully. Yeah. Because Sully is Nathan Drake. Sully was cast as Nathan Drake. Mark Wahlberg was cast as Nathan Drake. Yeah. He is set dressed like Nathan Drake. When he talks with Chloe and introduces him to Chloe, he low-key references a history with her, even though she's exactly his age gap difference with him as Nathan is. Mm -hmm. And he was originally working with Nathan's older brother. Nathan Drake is the one that has history with Chloe. Mm -hmm. He is Nathan Drake, and he becomes Sullivan when Tom Holland becomes Nathan Drake. Because then he can be hands-off. And that is... that I did not expect that going in, but that is so what happened in front of me, I don't know about anyone else, yeah. that I couldn't unsee it. Particularly when he's making Tom Holland go cut, cut the power to the room, I thought that was a little bit goofy, right? Like, he, he mm-hmm. does all this sleuthing and slipping and sliding to go in and get where he needs to get, and then he just ends up fighting and crashing on a table to make a distraction. Right. But... The way that uh, Mark Wahlberg is playing it, there's a, there's a, a direct parallel of this in Uncharted 4 when Drake and his brother and Sully are crashing the auction for a cross. Right. Well, that okay. was the other thing I think we both... like. So it was toothless, and the movie was basically built with building blocks that were set pieces from the games. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you had you had the, the plane scene from movie 3, you had the cross and the, the museum and the pirate ship from movie 4, you had it starting Bartending in... Bartending from movie three, 3, from game 3. Yeah, you, have, you have it starting in media stress like game 2 did. Yep. The only and game 4. But here's the thing. 
I don't have a problem with that once my brain has locked into the idea that this is a, another Force Awakens. This is a, a movie that, like The Force Awakens did, needed to prove it could deliver... Like, why make an Uncharted movie? Why not just make a new franchise movie, an Indiana Jones, yeah. National Treasure 3? Why an Uncharted movie when the whole point of that was you can play it and now you just can't play it? So this movie had to prove that it had its own unique characters and aesthetic and tone... That made this worth standing on its own. Yeah. So using the building blocks of the game to prove that you can pull it off makes sense to me. Yeah. The parallel of uh, Sully and Drake and his brother Mm -hmm. and Sully and Drake in that room Mm -hmm. where Sully used to just be like relying on Nathan Drake to do what he's going to do. Whereas in this other one, Sully is testing Nathan Drake, but is generally going to handle things himself and possibly leave him behind. Mm Mm-hmm. It's 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 the level of distrust that Drake has. In the one sequence, Sully ran into someone he knows, just like he ran into Braddock in the movie. And he talks to Nate and he says, did you catch who that was? And he's like, oh, crap. Like, you, you need to be careful. You need to get away from her and like, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like, Nate is the one who's aware of the danger and is trying to handle things. Mm-hmm. In this one, he's immediately warning Drake like Sully, quote unquote, mm-hmm. is immediately in the Nathan Drake position of warning him, no, you need to take this seriously, you need to avoid her, you need to go do this, you need to go do that. Like teaching him how to be what he's going to be. Yeah. So, and that's those two. Now, Chloe is unique because she's not just a girl that has a lingering thing where Tom Holland stammers for a minute because she's real party and then just like <laughs> falls all over himself and like does, like, Marvel is great because it's telling one big story. So the individual slices of that story are building on formulas, okay? Any one of those formulas has a girl that they are all like, oh, la, la, the girl, okay? <laughs> like, it, there's almost no reason for these characters to get together ex- other than the fact that they generally have to. Uh, this one is core to why the characters, it, it's the same theme. It's trust. And that's different from your standard thing. They never kiss in the movie. They don't nope. even, I don't think they even almost kiss in the movie. No, you, there, there is no romantic tension between them at all. I disagree with that, but I think it's all just basically built on, oh, she saw him shirtless and they're sleeping in the same bed. But the, the idea is caring about someone is such a different idea of a relationship than whether you're sexually attracted to someone. And so the fact that this movie is directed around beats of her betraying him Mm -hmm. and him saying, you don't have to do that and trying to prove it. And then him just coming up with that little clever thing. I appreciated that almost more than anything else in the movie. Oh, oh, uh, with the bottle trick. Yes. That's what I see. That's when Tom Holland started acting like Drake for me at that point. Cause that's something I can see Drake from the video games doing. Yeah. that's Chloe. Mm -hmm. She's a person who has trust issues and is is a person who's not just, not just, I don't know. She doesn't feel like she's a checkmark. Right. And and they don't always feel like a checkmark in the other movies either. But for the most part, what they end up amounting to Mm -hmm. is they play a part in someone else's story. Mm -hmm. And in this one, it's like, there's, it's almost that moment of, can I trust you? And it gets paid off as no, and she's gone from the rest of the movie. The last one is is Braddock. It's a character who looks like she's just supposed to be the secret hired assassin. You know, like uh, the actress, Sophia Boutella. You know, in Kingsman, Samuel mm-hmm. L. Jackson has the henchman girl. Yeah. That's almost becoming like a trope 
in and of itself. Yeah. There's like, I'm the muscle, don't mess with me, I have something to prove, henchman person. Yeah. I have never seen that henchman person earn being the main bad guy now. Yeah. I just haven't seen that trope get to turn into that. Okay. You know, there's the, for example, it would be like Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. If the dude with the sword arm from the bus turned into the main bad guy and killed Tony Leung like halfway through the movie. Right. And that would just feel weird. Yeah. That wouldn't work for that story. No. But here it worked. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's like all that groundwork that they did where she was just the knife and the muscle. Mm-hmm. It's like you, your brain gets used to it. Antonio Banderas is the one in charge and she's just kind of pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. And then it flips and she becomes the brains behind that trigger too. Mm-hmm. And so what your brain is used to being seen as the real threat, all of a sudden it has consequence. And I thought that was, I thought that was really great. Just those four make the movie stand a little bit out to me. I just wish I could see things. I just wish the camera had been backed up a little bit, that the frame was a little wider, that the camera held still for two and a half seconds longer. Which Tom Holland actually got injured at some point. Oh my gosh. The whole stunt team did so many impressive things. I mean, the Russo brothers have a really good eye mm-hmm. for keeping things grounded and shaky, but still showing you all of the actions happening on screen. I, I And I had this suspicion. This guy. Uh, the director. Um, his name is Rob, Rob Roy. Rick. 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 Reuben Flesher. Reuben Flesher. It's like if he, no matter what movie he makes, he makes it R-rated. And then he just cuts from there until the studio accepts it. Yeah. Zombieland is a very solid action-adventure film. And set it's in a directed very clearly. Yes. You know, like, they take, for example, the thing that they always point out in Venom. Uh, Venom eats people's heads, right? There's a guy in a convenience store. Mm. You could always just direct Venom to not eat his head. Mm-hmm. Or you could ha- direct it so that the camera's from outside and you just... Have a comedy cut to the shopkeep running from inside, and then Venom comes out like licking his fingers like a weirdo. Yeah. But instead, that guy clearly shot the movie with the intent of being able to show it like he ate his head and just cut it out. Yeah. If you're going to make a movie that's PG 13, shoot it to be PG 13. The only two movies I know that he's made that have, the three movies that he's made that have been fully rated R are Zombieland 1, Zombieland Double Tap, and Gangster Squad. But Gangster Squad also had a big issue with editing in post because they had a sequence. That movie came out right around the time of the Colorado shootings Mm. when Dark Knight Rises came out. Yeah. So he had to edit out around this big montage sequence where some people got shot in a theater. Yeah. The, The guy needs to adapt because he keeps making movies. With these R-rated moments, like gutting, slitting someone's throat. And he directs it like he's going to get to make it R-rated. With the camera straight on Antonio Banderas' yeah. face and neck. With the, the right. knife sliding across his yeah. throat. Now, there is a PG-13 way to shoot that scene. You have Antonio Banderas sitting behind a desk. At, 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 just, at, just literally have the exact same framing. Put the camera behind Braddock. And you don't show the body. Just don't show the body. Yeah. Which they were smart enough to do earlier in the movie when she killed his father. Yeah. He just looks in the rearview mirror, and you cut away. And you, you, you know what's going on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which I still think it's lame, because I want to see more stuff. Uncharted is, is a game full of the consequences of this. And they actually wrote a script about how Nathan Drake is uncomfortable with the consequences of what people are doing. Mm-hmm. And then you don't show any of that. Like, are you kidding me? The one adventure movie that breaks down how all these movies are about guns blazing, and punching people, and people getting killed. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that's like... What if we just hunt for treasure? 
and actually talk about why, where the line is on why they have to be that way. Yeah. Like, wow, so you could have had a really original take on things. Going back to the uh, building blocks, and they kind of like mess with Nathan Drake's backstory a little bit. It's not the exact same backstory that you get with the video games, Mm -hmm. but it's similar enough that people who are familiar with the games aren't going to get mad because I... I, I say that because I didn't get mad, but eh. I didn't notice a difference actually. Um, in 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 the game, Sully finds Drake on the other side of the world uh, when he first gets the uh, ring from Madame What's Her Face, mm-hmm. and in this one, Drake already has the ring, and Sully finds him like still pickpocketing, but instead of pickpocketing Sully, he pick he gets a bracelet off. off. Of a girl. Uh, yeah, so yeah. The, so the way they meet is is the same, but the circumstances are slightly different. Yeah. And it's that throughout the entire origin. And so they mess with these characters slightly, but not enough that they aren't who they are. And it, it, it's to the point where, like you said, they, they what I liked about it is, 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 is that the characters are learning from past events that happened in the movie to predict what other characters in the movie are going to do. Yeah, and it just the chemistry between the actors works, but I keep seeing this pop up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Everyone talking about how Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, even though they work well together and they have chemistry mm-hmm. are miscast i don't think so personally i don't think so because i think like what you just said mm-hmm. about how Sully would be a globe-trotting person who happens to meet nathan drake because nathan drake runs across his path yeah versus nathan drake knowing where to find nathan drake mm-hmm. is just another tip in favor of what i think they were doing with this story because just to give context to why i was thinking this way uncharted 4 the final Uncharted movie that ends with an end-end ending where he is retired. Mm-hmm. Uncharted game, by the way, not movie. Came out like three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that story was closed. So we're we just going to go rewatch it without being able to play it. You can do that on YouTube. People edit the, the games, together, games and, together. Yeah. So, no. The point of this was a movie about passing on the story from one medium to another. The, the mm-hmm. thing that Uncharted now faces that Star Wars faced. Mm-hmm. which is the movie is making money. Sony's excited enough to say that they have a franchise on their hands. I still haven't heard that they've greenlit a sequel. Mm-hmm. But if they make a sequel, the challenge that they have is to prove that they can tell a unique, worthwhile story with what they've built. The big thing here is you have so many different avenues you could go because you have different tones based on where you go in the world. I, I want to see them continue the relationship with Chloe and not abandon it in order to bring in the character from the games that he ends up with. Mm. In fact, I literally just started replaying Uncharted 4. Mm-hmm. And I still, because, you know, Naughty Dog had a hand in the production of this. Mm-hmm. And they were always writing those games as movies you could play. Nathan Drake, the la- the only thing about Chloe in, in Uncharted 4 is there's a little notebook in his attic at the beginning, a reference to Chloe. And he looks at it and he says, maybe in another life. You did the Citizen Kane, and now Citizen you're going to do the Godfather. Godfather. I have a habit of picking the movies that people love endlessly. Well, I don't know about that. You haven't talked about Ninja Turtles 3. Oh, by the way, for listeners who for some reason are just now tuning in, uh, in the gauntlet you earn points by being just subjective at all. So if, if he answers that the movie is either good or bad, he gets a point. He has mm. to talk about this completely objectively. Mm. Curtis, was The Godfather good or bad? The Godfather is a is a mob movie that romanticizes what mob life is. Is it good or bad, though? You haven't answered I'm, that question. I was never bored during the movie. Well done. What was your favorite scene in The Godfather? So, 
there are two scenes that uh, stick out to me whenever I think of The Godfather. Uh, one happens at the very beginning of the movie, and it's it's the wedding scene where you get introduced to uh, Vito Corione. Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. Mm. And you get a very clear idea of the kind of power and the influence that he holds. Because the wedding is taking place in the courtyard, and the scene is set in the upper echelons of his mansions. And one of the first shots you see is him looking down at the wedding. So he's on a higher level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have... The other scene that sticks out for me is the baptism scene where uh, Michael <laughs> is baptizing his, his uh, godson and during the entire time of do you renounce Satan and all of his ways. It's it's intercut with him getting rid of the competition. Even if you haven't seen the movie, mm-hmm. it's the baptism scene. Right. Those are the and two- I know I just gave you that, so now you get to escape this question. But... <laughs> Anyways, what would you cut out of the movie? I wouldn't cut anything out of, out of this movie because of, from what I see, it's kind of like with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where every scene builds on what happens next. So it's just kind of like a logical flow from point A to point B to point C throughout the entire movie. There's never a point where there's information that I'm missing or that I need added in. That's I feel fair. Like someone out there has an argument for that. I don't know. That's fair. So, um, who was the best actor? Who was the worst actor? Fredo for both. <laughs> no, Marlon Brando is by far the best actor. I'm going to get a point for that. That's fine, though. <laughs> like, the way that he plays Vito so Corione. To believe something is true. <laughs> the way that he plays Vito Cor- Corione, like, he's, he's like a very laid, laid back guy who is, no matter what, you get the impression that he's thinking a couple steps ahead of everyone else. Then when he's taken out of commission and he has no control over anything that's going on, that's when all hell breaks loose. The worst actor is Sofia Coppola in the third part. Well, <laughs> yeah. she's not in this one, so you can't say that. I haven't even seen the third one. So that's, just, that's, just the, that's, that's, that's just the that's that's just the overall complaint for that one. I don't know if I can pick a worst actor. That's an answer. In I this don't movie. know if I can pick one. Okay. Yeah. Give your favorite quote from the movie. A quote that everyone's gonna say, which is I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> okay, no, you're wrong. And and you're so that's why you get the point is because you're wrong even though that's not how these rules work at all. No, you got you got the point because you gave an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but funnily enough, the line that most people I know uh, always pick out as being their favorite is "Leave the gun, take the, the cannoli. cannoli." Because also famously, that's ad libbed. Take the cannoli is ad libbed. Oh, and that's yeah. <laughs> all right. So what's the movie missing? What would you add? I've kind of already answered this question with the previous question. That. Is subjective because I can disagree whether you answered it with the previous question. No, but or I, 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 ah! I legitimately did. You the... believe in your opinion that your answer for the one is justified for the other. Well, I said specifically there's nothing that I would. You believe that that I said... opinion applies to this one. <laughs> I that spe- is subjective. I specifically said that there's nothing that I. That, 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 that there's no inf- inf- information that I would remove. There's nothing that I would add. You did say that for that question. And you believe that that answer applies to this question. <laughs> I stand by what I said. And I just said it again, so there. Alright, so so as a story being told, what do you enjoy about The Godfather? Same reason why I like stories like Citizen Kane. Because it's, it's, it's almost that. It's Michael's downfall, is what this whole movie is. It's, it's Michael always saying that he was never going to be part of the family business, but then once his father's shot, not only does he become part of the family business, he becomes the head of the family. It's 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 that kind of thing that I like. It's it's the fall of Cain. It's uh, 
if they had done it right, the fall of Anakin Skywalker in, in the prequel series. Like, I, I don't know what it is about those kind of stories, but they're always uh, appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tra- tragic hero. There we go. Well, so, did you learn anything about making movies from watching this? With Citizen Kane, I, I talked about how never underestimate the space that, that you're using because it, it can be used mm-hmm. to mean many things. I think the same thing with sound with this movie because I, I mentioned this earlier. There's there's a scene, the restaurant scene where Michael guns down the police chief and the other uh, mobster. When he gets the gun from behind the uh, toilet, you hear sounds start to swell and drown out everything around him like his mind is getting filled. Mm-hmm. And that kind of slowly goes away as he leaves the, the uh, restroom. He goes to sit back down, and as they're there, they're talking. That same sound builds up again to the point where you can't even hear the people right across from him talking. Mm-hmm. And then the sound instantly cuts flat, and you hear the gunshots go off. Mm. That's used at several moments throughout the movie. But that's the one that's that's the example that sticks out to me. So it's like difference between like what you don't see is almost as important, more important than what you do see here. It's what you don't hear is almost more important than what you do here. But also what, what, what you're hearing can also give you insight to the mental state of the character in frame. What would make you watch it again? Honestly, I'm going to steal an answer from, from TJ time. This is not a movie that I can go back to watching like back to back to back. It's a very dense and heavy film that I always need time away before I can go back to watch it. Mm-hmm. What would make you go back to watch it? Uh, time. Just, long- it's just a ticking clock. Eventually you're in the mood again? Yeah. And would Francis Ford Coppola's nephew have made this a better movie? Uh, just no. Just flat out no? Just flat out no. There's the way that, that I've seen Nicolas Cage play his characters... Like, everyone in here is a... Not even as, like, a dude at the wedding at the beginning, just, like, eating hors d'oeuvres and, like, looking around, you know? Like at Fast Times in Ridgemont High, where he's just yeah, the guy in the background? Yeah, Well, then he can fork in any movie, so the, no, so, so the question becomes nonchalant. No, not in The Suicide Squad. <laughs> or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. You're, you're saying that Nicolas Cage wouldn't work in, in The Suicide Squad if he was just a random background villain in The Cell? Actually, that's, that's a good point. No, not a random background villain in The Cell. Like, it's a lunch guy you know like one of the lunch lady people. right that's what i'm saying putting it in in that context like he could work in any movie and therefore the question is null and void i don't know i don't know i think in i think in any role that's super young nicholas cage because like the only role i can see him playing is 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 the michael character and i just don't see him playing that character Aww, dude but yeah that that that's the gauntlet do you have anything to say about godfather yeah um the structure of this movie is something that's unique and works on a lot of other things and it's it's the only thing that i know that it's technically a part of it can be a part of the 3x structure but it's a unique take on the 3x structure that makes it different from the hero's journey okay um and i I call it cutting off the head of the snake it's killing Vito. you're able to establish a relationship with one another through one person yeah and all of their lives are are in the the ordinary world that starts off a hero's journey yeah. because of that one person who is in power. So it's it's a it's like with Game of Thrones, they build up Ned Stark like he's the protagonist of the series, and so cutting his head off mm-hmm. is what made the show the show. It established that no one is safe, no matter how important they seem to the story, mm-hmm. and in, in it made everyone story suddenly come into focus for the their children mm-hmm. it's that their father was killed for the people who killed him 
It's that they stepped out of bounds and broke the order of the way the kingdoms work. Like, everyone suddenly has a story. For the people who shot Vito, Mm -hmm. suddenly there's this direct conflict, this little war bred between families and and outfits. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, everyone always tries to say, like, you know, there's a different type, there's only like eight original stories, or there's only one original story, there's theories of boiling things down into one thing or another, and mm-hmm. you can always boil down every movie into just being Star Wars if you, if you go simple enough. Yep. But this is not Star Wars. No. You can make these little arguments about how it kind of is, but that structure, that figurehead, mm-hmm. the, the head of the family, Kicking off everything because of that strike of vulnerability that blows everything apart. That is such a a genius way, I think, to tell such a big, epic, sprawling story and make it feel intimate. Mm -hmm. But other than that, they do such a good job with montage sequences in this movie, particularly the baptism scene, that I feel like you could have applied some of that filmmaking to when he's in Italy. And that's what I think would be cut out of the movie. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this is This Film Not Rated, as evidenced by us trying really hard to have not rated any of the movies that we had before us. If you think you know our rating, you're wrong. We didn't give it to you. Um, but yeah, check out the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, especially our, our new uh, podcast that you probably listen to anyways, more than us. Uh, the Suit Up Geeks Podcast, and uh, we still have the Music City Drive-In, I believe, the Debbie Delight, and just... Uh, enjoy yourselves take care of yourselves we care about you you're nice people i'm eric you can find me at high contrast flm on twitter and you can find all my social media links from there you can also dm us on there with your ideas and thoughts about the show uh i'm curtis you can find me on twitter at 90s gamer 407 you can also find me on twitch at merrick underscore tainment where i stream video games every tuesday and thursday uh, from 11.30 to 2 in the morning. I'll probably be going for longer now because I'm playing Elden Ring. And this is going to be a very long, immersive game. So I'm expecting it to take me a long time to actually complete or beat. So you have that to look forward to. And you'll be able to see me get angry at bosses that I shouldn't be getting angry about because it's just a game. But whatever. But FromSoft does to you. Mm-hmm.